I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Alexandra Contreras Montesano, a senior at Burlington High School up in Burlington, Vermont. She loves all writing and art, but is particularly fond of poetry and photography. She says her poetry is inspired by her identity and experiences as a Mexican-American living in a state which has little diversity. She uh, is very interested in social justice issues and often uses her writing as a platform, she says, to enact or inspire change in areas that need it. And of course, a lot of areas need it. So Alexandra, I'm so glad you're, and I should mention, of course, I found her because she is a national student poet for the Northeast of our country. There are five national student poets. So Alexandra, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. I think we could start with what might be on some people's mind. It's one of the first things I thought of is, how does a person become a national student poet? Well, that's a great question. It's actually through uh, the Scholastic Art and Writing Awards. So basically, if you submit a piece of poetry to the Scholastic Art and Writing Awards and you're either in 10th grade or 11th grade, um, and you get a gold key at the regional level and it goes up to the national level for judging and you get a silver or gold medal for your poetry, you then get entered into the pool of people considered to be um, the national student poet. Um, and then 35 finalists are picked and then you submit more poetry and just another application and then uh, they notify you later as to who the five poets are. And you're it for the Northeast, which includes, a, it's a rather populous area here. So it's quite an honor. There was probably a lot of competition. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm very honored to represent all these amazing states. Yeah. It's fabulous. It's just fabulous. And, and they uh, took you to D.C. as part of this for the like induction ceremony or whatever you want to call it. Yes, it was my first time to D.C. It was actually really, really amazing. Loved the city. Um, had so many, so many great experiences there. And I uh, hear you met our poet laureate, Tracy K. Yes, Smith. I spent a glorious three hours with uh, Tracy K. Smith, who is just an amazing person, an amazing poet. Um, she let us read our poetry to her. We did a little poetry writing exercise. She answered so many questions. She's really, really spectacular. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. It wasn't just a like, hi, congratulations, kids. No, no, no. She's very in-depth. She's that is beautiful. All right. And in the uh, mentioning, as you did uh, in your own bio, how, how did you get to Burlington? <laughs> well, long story, actually, I was born in Oregon. Um, and then I moved to Mexico when I was only two months old. Um, and I lived for Mexico in Mexico for some time. And then I moved back up to Oregon and then sort of immediately moved to Burlington because my mother got a job here and it's just mm -hmm. a great city to be in, especially for raising children. So she moved us here and I've been here ever since. All right. And and you said, you mentioned before we turn on the mic that, uh, so Spanish is your first language. Yes. I actually did learn Spanish first and I sort of learned them, uh, pretty closely together yeah. though. So I was definitely the baby that babbled a lot of, uh, Spanglish. 
um, which is a very interesting language. Um, but yeah, it's it's something I learned first. But then when I moved to the States and Burlington, I definitely had more of a stress on my English rather than my Spanish, but I still speak Spanish at home. Yeah. Um, how old were you when you got to Burlington? Just um, I think it was around five or six. Okay. So just kindergarten age. because. Oh, so uh, well. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is just Wow, you have a great, interesting story, and I'm, and it's really wonderful that you got this award. It's, it's truly a very cool accomplishment. So, what? Why don't you read us a poem? All right, sounds good. Yeah. Okay, so um, I have a lot of my poetry deals with sort of a nostalgia for Mexico because I haven't been able to go back in a while. Um, so this poem is called Puebla. And it's about the town I lived in when I was living in Mexico. All right. Puebla. Puebla is chocolate dipped. Syrupy as I spoon it out of the close-knit town surrounding Mexico City. I just want to gulp it down. Suck the marrow from the cattle that get leaner every year. It smells good. Being home or being in a place that was once home. I can't help but hold my breath, abducting into my lungs because the wind here is a different flavor than the wind there. I thought the thing I missed most was the heat, the sizzle your bare feet make against the packed dirt of the evening road, but I was wrong because I am intoxicated by the way my grandma casps her hands to my heart like I never left. Puebla tastes salty as I lick it from my top lip, brushing it from the corners of my eyes, letting it fall, absorb into my skin. I know I can't come back until the next thunderstorm season. It gets easier to come and harder to leave. I wish I could stay in this town where everything feels like cayenne when you mix it with just the right amount of lime. It burns, but you laugh until the sour. Oh, I love that ending. Thank you. I have to imagine it because I'm not sure I've ever had it, at least not the way, you're, the way you probably had it. Yes. <laughs> oh, Mexico City looks so incredible. I, I once taught a class that had quite a few uh, Mexican-Americans in it and uh, got me interested. I started looking at the museums look just incredible. Yeah, it's a very bustling city. I have to admit, I have not spent that much time there. Most of my time was spent in Puebla or Tlaxcalteca, mm -hmm. um, where my grandparents lived. It's interesting to have the contrast. You know, you thought thought you missed the, the heat. And, and it smells different. Oh, yes. It's hard to describe. Smells are hard to describe. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, give us another one. That's, that's cool. That's very cool. So for the second poem, this is actually one of my more recent poems, um, but this is more about addressing some issues that are happening um, in Mexico. There's always been a really, really big kidnapping issue um, mm -hmm. for a ransom mostly. And um, it's, it's just so entrenched. There are people in the government and the police that are corrupt um, and involved in this. So uh, there was an instance um, where 43 people were taken. So I 
uh, wrote a poem about it. So this one is called Nos Faltan 43, which means we are missing 43. Um, and it's one of the slogans in uh, the movement to try and stop the kidnappings in Mexico. So blood summers in the deep parts of Mexico are the reason I only visit in the spring. They call them blood summers because of how the air gets thick and how the children get stolen. I can either write or they can bleed with the fragile heartbeats they have left. Pain has always taken us for weak and I am weak, so I write. Sometimes they take them from school or from home or from their father's arms and everyone is alone because they don't get amber alerts, just death ones. I can either write or they can cry with the leaking eyes we have yet to see with, memories gathered in the corners dripping down our cheeks until we feel lonely and I am lonely, so I write. Have you seen the marches? The charred paper with the faces etched in, the billboards clustered on the highway, the way they don't let go of their children? Where is Karim? Where is Fernando? Where is Sylvia? Where is Martha? At dawn, I can either write or they can burn, for the sun lights us on fire, all that they never were, and the ash shows that we are guilty, and I am guilty. So I write, have you seen them? How does, how does a poem like that get written? Can oh. you describe what your process was like? Yes, yeah, so my writing process is basically a line comes to me at the most inopportune time. So in math class, in the shower, when I really shouldn't be writing, um, and I'll just sort of build the whole poem around that one line. Sometimes it's the first line, sometimes it's the middle line, sometimes it's the last line, um, but that's usually my method. Um, yeah, that one was more, I was reading up a lot about the issue and I was just like, I just wanted to do something about it. Um, and so I wrote that one and it got published in, um, in the newspaper. And I had people coming to me saying, I've never heard of this. Like this was not an issue I'd heard of. Uh, so yeah, my main goal with that was just to get people to be aware of the issue. No, I was thinking of that idea about your process. And then you talked about the, the billboards and po or posters, whatever they were, uh, like fringed and all that. And it was de that detail. And I was wondering if you had that early in the game or when you were looking around thinking about what else can I put in here to make this image, you know, impressive to people to help it get through. And that's what made me wonder how, how it happened, you know, what came first. Yeah, what, actually. Um, so the line that inspired this whole poem was my line and everyone is alone because they don't get Amber alerts, just yeah. death ones. Um, because we'd actually had a, a false Amber, Amber alert go, go off um, in Burlington. So that was kind of like, oh, like that was a little scary. Um, and so that was sort of the inspiration. And then those specific details are things that I had seen in my research um, and chose to include. So people, I think people can, um, if they can visualize it better, uh, the emotional impact is also greater. Yeah. I sometimes think that in a writing poem, at least I will consciously feel like I have to make sure I have a few more lines so people have time just to get it. Yes. <laughs> and it's not filler, but I just feel like somehow there's got to be more because you can't go through it too fast or too much will get missed. Exactly. Yeah. So the Amber, yeah, that was a really neat detail. 
the thought that they don't have Amber Alerts. Just a death notice. Okay, I'm glad you read that. You, you know, you, you sent me some poems and and you you mentioned being interested in social issues, but you, you didn't go to social issues on the ones you sent me. So I'm glad you read that. Oh yeah, that those, a, are, those are part of my initial application. So those are yeah. all written in a month. <laughs> um, so anyway, well, whatever you'd like to read next, we'd love to hear. So for my next poem, um, this is Repentance. That's that you did some interesting things in that one. Yes. Yeah, so this is uh, written in sort of a confessional style. So this one is probably one of my most blatantly honest poems. Um, very, very personal. But I think uh, the way that poetry can affect or enact change is by being personal and letting people hear your story to see if they can connect with it in any way. Um, so yeah, this is Repentance. Beautiful. I forgot to eat my vegetables the other day. That's why you found broccoli in the garbage. I drank water from the tap once and didn't get sick. I drank water from the tap again, and I did. I know you don't earn a lot of money. I hate the feeling I get when you try and hide it. I think Dad left because you told him to. I think you told him to leave because he was going to anyway. I spent the last dollar on a necklace I really wanted at the store. I don't pray before we eat. I know you don't either. I hate it when the neighbor tells me I hit like a girl. I was the reason he had a black eye and they don't invite me over anymore. I never hit anyone else after that with my fists. I think the door needs to be oiled. I know when you get home late because of the sound. I'll never drink. I know how grandpa died. I get nervous every time you take a sip of wine. I failed my permit test and then never took it again. I don't let my friends go over the speed limit. I can't get rides from Sarah anymore. I remember when you took me out of preschool. I think it was because one of the children was kidnapped. I heard the reporter say he turned up dead. I didn't ask why we were moving to the States because I knew. I tell you I like it here because it's safe. I sometimes feel less safe here than Mexico. When you found this poem, I told you none of it was true. It's, it's, it's interesting how you also managed to uh, run a sort of light touch through the true confessions. Yes, I I tried to sort of connect them. Yep, compared to, compared to the other poems, this one has more of the, I'm not going to call it quite humor, but you know, like that light touch when you, you tell the truth, but there's a little something there also. I I, think, I love that poem. I think it's really, really wonderful. And uh, and it's great that you did it. You know, I don't know, I, you ever had that, that feeling where if somebody else wrote the poem, it would be okay. <laughs> you know, about telling the truth in a poem you think oh gee should i say that and and my, my own i try to get myself to be like brave enough to say well if somebody else read this poem would i think oh that's that's cool okay that's good that's that's how their life goes that's a good way and, of thinking uh, of it <laughs> anyway it, it yeah there, there's a quote and i can't quote it unfortunately from the, from the wonderful canadian poet alden nolan Something out, you know, if you don't tell the truth once you found it, what's the point in poetry? 
Yeah. That's roughly what the what the quote's about. It's not exactly it. Yeah, there's there's the Langston Hughes poem, The Truth, where I think the last line is, um, uh, you have nothing to fear from the poet but the truth. Mm. Which is, it's, it's a great poem. Oh, hey, what other poets do you like a lot? I think that'd be an interesting thing to ask you as a young poet. Okay. Yeah, so um, I have the classic favorites, such as Billy Collins, Emily Dickinson. Um, I grew up on their poetry. I loved um, Billy Collins. I think it was Sailing Around the Room. Yeah. That one. I, I, I bought that book, loved that book. Um, I had like a little mini Emily Dickinson one. Um, I'm also trying to constantly discover new young artists and poets like Ariana Brown, who um, is really, really amazing. She wrote this just astounding poem called Dear White Girls in My Spanish Class that is just, that gives me goosebumps every time. Um, and she performs it really, really well. Um, Robert Frost is a it's an influence. I've read his poetry. There is a particular favorite of mine called The Last Mowing that I I have it actually framed in my room because it was, I don't know, it was the first poem that I read that I was like, oh, maybe I want to write poetry. Wow. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, you, you, well, you have a, as I recall, there's a nice bookstore up there that has a good selection. And also with access to the university library. You better read read us another poem here. Uh, this is this is going to be a nice sampling of your poetry. This is excellent. Thank you. All right. So um, this poem here is um, a favorite of mine. Actually, um, I think it really speaks to sometimes what the Mexican American experience is in Vermont or any place um, in America. Um, and this one is called "I Am English." It hurts when I hear Spanish, real Spanish, not the kind they try to teach you in high school or shoved down your throat in college. I could never love anyone who speaks Spanish. Love demands that you keep your eyes open when you kiss and your ears open when they talk. I used to have friends, but then I threw them all away thinking it would make me feel better. They were never beat up by the words that came out of their own mouths. They didn't understand why I cringed when the transfer sat down and told me that the teacher said I spoke Spanish too. I don't speak Spanish, I would hiss. I feel it. Every day and in every ligament of my life, I turned away from him because I'm selfish. He would learn to hate Spanish soon enough. My cousins down in Mexico try to get me to be like them, but they don't understand that I killed that part of myself when I moved to the States and they started asking me who I was. Hello, Bella, I would say. I'm Alex. Hello, Spanish, she would say. I'm Bella. I suffocated my rolled R's and all the extra letters I had learned because of Bella. I learned to hate my caramel skin, so I bleached it with words like, I was born in the US and Columbus is my hero. I hurt myself because on applications and standardized tests, the question, please check off what race you are, makes me want to vomit up all of my hard work. It took me years to act like English, to talk like English, to read 
like English, to want like English, to hate like English. All it cost me was my Spanish. Whoa. Now that is a confessional poem. <laughs> to me, more so than the other one. <laughs> yes. You're on such a good track with poetry, I got to say. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Before we finish, I want to mention, um, oh, yeah, you said your, your favorite, your, your most frequent photography subject is your, is your sister. Have you written any poems about her? Oh my gosh. Um, well, a few when I was younger, I think, but none of any quality. Um, yeah, my, just... po <laughs> my poems tend to be about things that need to change, and I think she's perfect the way she is. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Would you like to read one more before we go? All right. Is there one that you wanted to hear from the ones I sent you, or should I? Jews is fine, you know? No, I want you to be happy. <laughs> Thank you. All right. We like happy guests. <laughs> well, I'm I'm very happy. It's a great show. It's really great that you're giving a podcast to poetry. It definitely needs to be shared more often, I think. Um, all right. So for my final poem, I think I will read. Let's see. So this is more of a experimental poem. Um, I had a fun time writing this one. It's one of my lighter poems. If you were to look at it at face value and one of my darker <laughs> poems, if you were to dig deeper into it. Um, I've never read this one um, aloud before because it's something that is easy to read on the page, hard to read out loud. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. Um, but this one is called Candy Floss. <laughs> what a bubblegum kingdom popping and sticking to the pink parts of the tongue of that bubblegum girl who likes to chew people up and spit them out. See that gumdrop, beat drop in the nodding head of Red Top's ears as he tries to listen to another sweet record. Tucked into the green smile of a sour apple jolly rancher is the sad one who happens to be the funny one in class, but the hardest one to unwrap. Her favorite flavor of happiness is cherry, dum-dum, that is, but today her stupid gad gave her orange and now she hates that dum-dum. Lame boy eats grape-flavored pop rocks and rolls his eyes when anyone talks. The teacher only calls on him when he doesn't know the answer, so he closes his eyes and pop, he's gone. You do a lot of sound play in there, too. More so than in your other poems, I think. Oh yeah, that one was a that one's a new one. You know, definitely needs a little bit of editing, but we'll see. As you said, it's an experiment. It's always you know who knows where you're going to go with an experiment. So that's the thing to do. Okay, well, hey, thanks so much for doing this. I'm really happy we were able to do it. Uh, and uh, so I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this has been Poetry Spoken. Here you're listening to Alexandra Contreras Montesano from Burlington, Vermont right now, previously from Mexico and Oregon. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. We've been visiting with Alexandra Contreras Montesano from Burlington, Vermont. She is a national student poet, one of five, Alexandra represents the northeast corner of the United States. And now I'd like to talk to you about the poetry of Sandra Simmons, a poet I came upon because the title of her newest book is 
Further Problems with Pleasure. Sandra Simmons has authored several collections of poetry. She's been anthologized in the Best American Poetry 2014 and 2015, and she's been featured in American Poetry Review. She teaches English and Humanities at Thomas University in Thomasville, Georgia. And her recent book, as I said, is Further Problems with Pleasure. I found that her poetry is both narrative and elliptical, intellectual, yet erotic. It's a bit difficult to do it justice in a brief format like this, but I'm going to try it because uh, getting to know her work is something you'll be happy to do. Here are some of her titles, for instance. She's good at titles. A Poem for Animals and Construction Workers. Fun Clothes, a Gothic. My sexuality is, quote, victim of capitalism, end quote. And several of the poems in the book are entitled Further Problems with Pleasure, the title of the book. Rather interesting. I'll read a few excerpts just to give you a little flavor of the kind of thing she does. This is from a poem called Our Lady of Perpetual Help. You learned how to spell me in school terrible. You need to mark every place Faulkner was racist and rewrite the novel as erasure. If you're a good man, you'll rewrite the moon, and then we will fall for each other backwards, which is our birthright, which is the soft land and her animals when nature mellows like a porous fruit. Sims has a quality of, of seemingly giving you a straightforward narrative, but you know right away there's a whole lot more there. Like any, any good poetry, there's a, a surface and then there's the depths. Here's something from a, a series of poems in the middle of the book called the Baudelaire Variations. This is number seven, and it's called Exotic Perfume. When my two eyes close on a warm autumn night, I sweat the smell of your hot skin, and I feel the blazing rivulets of happiness that fuel the inferno of the monotonous sun. We've come to this lazy island together, Felix where nature offers shivering trees with shivering red fruit. Cold as an ancient orgy, this place where the men are thin and vigorous and the women are fresh and sassy like sin. That's the first two stanzas of erotic perfume. Now let's hear from a poem that shares the title with the book, Further Problems with Pleasure. Friends, I'm going to leave Facebook to become a vegan and or astronaut. Flying high above my own sorcery. The police will never helicopter mom me. RJ spent the 80s in Miami stealing cars. But he was only the middleman, so here's something pathetic about that. No, now he's in Alabama, sitting in a tree swing hunting deer. So it makes me hate him. Once, he got arrested for stealing a sandwich from 7-Eleven. And that's what did him in. There you go. A few excerpts from some poems from, from a wonderful poet that I, I encourage you to check out, Sandra Simmons. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this has been Poetry Spoken Here. Join with us again next time to let poetry speak to you.
You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.